Like we all got stuff, bro. Like all of us are dealing. And the other thing I would say is it's never too late to start, but don't start too late. If you're 40, if you're 50, if you're 60, it doesn't mean that tomorrow you can't start being better. It also doesn't mean wait till tomorrow. Comeback Stories family, we have another episode of Comeback Stories. I uh, want to welcome our guest, a man that you may recognize on Get Up, first take in the mornings on ESPN, but a guy that I remember as a teenager watching him roam the middle of the field for the Pittsburgh Steelers, watching them knock him off. Teenager, jeez. Uh, yeah, man, my man Ryan Clark. Uh, <laughs> grateful to have you here today, man. Uh, welcome. Oh, man, thank you so much. I, I, I don't feel old until I feel old. And Listening to one of the best players in the NFL say they watch me as a teenager, it's letting me know, man, uh, that, that I'm getting up there. And so uh, I'm grateful to be here. Donnie and I, you know, have gotten to know each other uh, a little bit over the past year, man. So it's awesome to be talking to both of you. Yes, sir. Well, we like to dive right in uh, to your story. And we want to ask you, uh, what was growing up for you like? Oh, man, growing up for me, it, it was really beautiful. I truly don't have one of those stories that I think people tell to talk about the things they overcame from their childhood. Uh, I didn't grow up rich. Uh, we didn't have a ton of money, uh, but my parents made sure that I never knew that. My mom and my, my dad were, were both probably my best female and best male friend growing up. And so, you know, I shared stories with them that helped me grow. Uh, some I probably shouldn't. You know, I think I think some uh, that I still carry emotionally just because we were so close. They were sharing things with me that I don't know if I was emotionally mature enough to handle. But those things helped me understand how I wanted to parent my kids, what type of parent I wanted to be. My parents, man, still married, still great, both totally different. And, you know, all I wanted to do was play ball. Like, I, I just remember, I remember, man, in the eighth grade, and having a girlfriend. It was my first like little girlfriend. And me and the same, me and another dude in the class had a girlfriend. And uh, our girlfriends were best friends. And you know, I so I remember them. I remember my girlfriend running up to me at recess or at lunch or whatever, and she wanted to go like to the back fence because the back fence was where you could go and kiss. You know what I mean? And uh, they had a football game going on though, and I was like, "Ain't no way in good hell I'm finna miss a football game." to go kiss a girl. You know what I mean? I was like, you just my girlfriend in theory. Like, we don't do none of that girlfriend stuff. And so, like, just from young as I can remember, you know, it was all about ball, all about family. And uh, the the way I was raised, you know, now, that that's still part of my life, man. And, um, you know, I'm very grateful for who my parents were, for who my parents still are. Yeah, I feel like we all need to be grateful and just stop and, you know, thank our parents while we have them, give them their roses. Uh, while we're here. But one thing we like to touch on from our childhood here is, uh, is there an early memory of pain that you recognize from, whether it be in the family or at school or amongst friend groups, one that stands out to you that really affected you uh, in a major way? Yeah, you know, I, I wouldn't say it was, it was young. I was 17 at the time, so I don't necessarily know how, how young that is. I played park ball with a kid. Um, we ended up going to the same high school, and he was actually my my college host when I visited LSU. And uh, we were we were really good friends, you know. When you when you play at the same playground, when you go to the same high school, when you go to the same college, 
you develop a certain bond. And it was, you know, during my freshman year, we're, we're sitting outside the dorm. He doesn't, he didn't really come around a lot. You know, he had, he had ki- a kid early. He was engaged. So he lived in, in marital housing and um, he comes out, he's having a daiquiri and he's just talking to me and he's asking me if I'm all right. You know, he's like, RC, you good? You know, and everything good with the coaches, you're enjoying ball. Is there anything you need me to handle? Anybody you need me to talk to? And I was like, nah, bro, but like, why are you being so dang weird? You know what I mean? I was like, you never come hang out with us. And I was like, and then when you come hang out with us, you come ask me all these dang questions. I was like, you don't see all them girls walking from the dorm over there? Like, why are we over here talking? And so, man, we go in for practice the next day and practice is canceled. And, uh, you know, you, you play football, man. You know, if you get a practice canceled, you pretty fired up. You know, you like, this is, this is Christmas. And so, man, we, we go into the meeting, tight ends coach comes in first and he's crying. Then the head coach at the time was Jerry DiNardo. You could tell like he had been crying. And so coach after coach after coach file in and you can see that, that something's going on and still it's not computing to me that I don't see Nichelle. And so um, the meeting starts, they kind of talk about canceling practice and maybe 15 seconds in talking, they say, Michelle Menard shot himself and, and died last night. And so to me, it was my first time dealing with, with death at, like, at my stage. You know, I lost great aunts, great uncles, um, grandparents, but I had never dealt with someone my age passing. I never dealt with someone I was close to like that or that type of situation at all. And up until that point in life, I considered myself extremely tough, at least my version of tough. You know, what, what I'd always seen, what I always thought men were supposed to be. And in unison, 50 to 75 college football players just start crying. Some of us run out of the meeting room and just having to be outside. And then the next day, they let us, they sent us to talk to someone. Uh, a therapist, but then they ask us if we do interviews, right? That's what you want to do at 17 or 18 years old is, is do an interview about your friend that died. But you felt that obligation because to me, I was like, who's known him since he was 12? You know, um, who, who watched him play tackle in high school, then moved to center? You know, like I, I saw all those things and I wanted to share those things about him. And then I just remember his sister and I were, were pretty close because we all we had just been knowing each other so long. And I just remember at the funeral, her being so, so mad at it, you know, and trying to register that, trying to digest that, trying to understand how she could be so mad at somebody that was gone. And then on the other side of it, all the rest of us be so hurt. And so I think that's like the true first memory for me of real pain, of pain that I could register outside of the little things that happened to us or the stories I was told from my parents of things they had went through. Well, what were some of the thoughts and the feelings that you felt yourself dealing with and battling coming forth from that experience? And did it affect your relationship with football any? No, you know, I, I don't think, I don't think it, it, it affected my relationship with football. It, was, it affected my relationship with people. 
up until that point, you think you have an infinite amount of time with the people you're close to. I'm thinking about the fact that he's trying to ask me questions. And instead of me asking him a question, I told him, won't you have some fun? You never come out. I, I, I did wonder if him hanging out and talking to me was to get us into a conversation that could have helped him. You think about not taking advantage of time. And so it didn't affect my relationship with the game as much as it affected my relationship with the people I play the game with. And you, you've been in locker rooms, Donnie, you've been around a lot of athletes. And I say this all the time and people who don't play the sport don't get it, but all your teammates aren't your friends and all your friends aren't your teammates. That's not how it works. I, I could be on the team with Darren Waller and really see him other than practice 15 minutes a day. Um, I'll see him in the, in, in the morning team meeting. I'll see you walking by in the locker room. If we're having lunch, then I'll see you at practice on the field, but we don't really deal. But college is different, right? Because we do everything together. You know what I'm saying? You know, in, in the league, like you break off and, you know, these dudes are married. These dudes aren't married. Like you have all these things. And it was so, it was so different then. And I didn't recognize it till after that. You know, I, I, I didn't take advantage of those relationships until after that. Like I didn't understand it. And so now when I'm talking to my son who plays at, at Arizona State, I, I tell him that one, you don't know if you'll ever play beyond this level. Um, two, the relationships will never be the same. They change from high school to college and the business of everything changes. And the, the emotion I dealt with the most was regret, which upset me at myself because I felt like that was selfish. He lost his life or he took his own life. Yet all I could think about was what it made me feel. I think that was just truly the first time thinking of like, what type of friend are you? What type of man? are you? What type of man do you want to be? And, and I was forever changed by that, which I think helped me when Sean Taylor passed. Because we were extremely close and uh, I ended up going to Pittsburgh. He's in Washington at the time. And uh, I had just gotten out of the hospital. My spleen was removed. My gallbladder was removed. Piece of my liver. And so I was battling for my life and you're out of the hospital a couple of days, you get a call that Sean's been shot. Early on that offseason or that, that, that preseason, we played with Washington. And some people had asked him about me. Like, basically, like, you know, we know you didn't really take the step you wanted to take last year. I know Ryan was a big part. And he kind of said some things that I guess weren't necessarily not glowing, but he's basically like, nah, I'm me. And he tried to separate himself from me but it didn't come off the way he wanted it to. And so, man, we're on the field before the game. He walks out and he's like, he's called me a little killer. He's like, little killer, man. I just want to say, I'm sorry. I didn't mean it like that. I was like, bro, I don't care about that. But then we just started running down where his life was with his fiance, with his baby and all these things. You know, we told each other that we loved each other. And I got to tell him how proud of him I was. And then we text and this is different things. And it, it made me really... I was really appreciative of having the moment I had in college that where I understood those relationships and I didn't have to have that with Sean later in life. 
And so I think, you know, you, you try to take the hurts and you try to take the pain. And it's just like parenting, right? I, I didn't want my kids to have to relive pain I felt, but I also didn't want to relive that pain myself. Yeah, I think those are incredibly valuable lessons to uh, to pass on to to young people today. But I want to ask you, you know, who was the first real teacher that you had when you were growing up? Who was somebody that really impacted your life at a young age? You know, I, I mean, I think I think everybody, you know, I think everybody would say who had parents like mine would say their parents. Um, but the person that I would look to the most, his name was Gary Lewis. He was like my oldest and closest first cousin. Uh, our parents, his mom and my mom were sisters. Matter of fact, he was drafted by the Raiders, Darren. To, he was drafted by the Raiders. Uh, he went to Alcorn State. He was swag player of the defensive player of the year. He played corner. And when he was home, whether it was from college or the league, he'd take me everywhere, right? Because he knew how much I love football. Like, I still remember being the, at a playground. I was holding his bungee so he could do, you know, resisted runs. You know, like, I, I, I remember, like, I remember that. And he would just talk to me constantly about life you know now i can also say that when he got picked up by the raiders he's in la you know you've been in la before the the women in la didn't look like the women in new orleans and i remember you know and i remember his first his first la girlfriend you know she was something like she wasn't like a regular chick and i remember she came home and like all this long like holy cow i gotta make it to the league like is this what happens when when you get to the league and you know I remember and he had a new car and I remember I would talk about all these things and he would just sit me down and tell me that's not what it's about. And that's why he would take me to the playground to help him work out. It wasn't just about the fact that he needed somebody to hold the bungee because that's pretty much all I did or he needed somebody to toss the ball. He wanted me to see that. And he would always tell me, like, you might not play football, right? This might not ever be your job. But the things that I learned from this sport are things I want to teach you, the hard work, the discipline, the dedication, understanding your passion and approaching it in a way where your actions show that this is what you want. And to have somebody who you were so close to, who truly, man, you know, he's 24, 25 years old at the time, like he didn't have to take that time with me. He had other things to do, other stuff pulling at him when he was home. and he didn't just teach me by what he taught, by what he said, or even the work that he showed. What he taught me is giving your time is valuable. Cause that was what I love most about it. That I felt like he had all these things to do. And his youngest little cousin was the dude he hung out with all the time. And obviously, you know, when it was time to go do grown up things, he went, he did grown up things. And I sat at the house and watched TV, you know? And I would sit there and I'd probably fall asleep before he got home. Then in the morning, he'd wake me up, we'd eat, we'd get on about our day. And so Gary was truly kind of like the first, you know, the first man other than my father who I felt impacted me, who whenever I think about my upbringing, you know, had a huge impact on who I became. It's powerful stuff, man. And I know in the beginning, growing up for you seemed for the most part kind of smooth sailing, but we know you've you faced a lot of adversity in your life from the game in 2007 to, to Sean's mm. death, death. Can you talk about like what 
like your bottom or your greatest adversity and, and really what that looked like and maybe walk people through what exactly yeah. was going on with you and what happened with Sean's yeah. death? Yeah, I would think obviously, you know, that time with, with, with Sean was probably, you know, it was something I was prepared, not, not prepared for the actual event, but I think life had prepared me for it to, to deal with it and be strong. I would say the bottom actually ended up being the greatest thing for me. The adversities I've dealt with are just things that happen. Things are out of my control. Um, I'm, I'm sitting in my bed. It's two weeks after I take after I get sick in Denver. Uh, the Steelers are playing Cincinnati. I'm at my house watching it from bed. So by this time, Darren and Donnie, I mean, y'all know how, how it happens, bro. By this time, I was 205 uh, two weeks before. At this time, I'm like 187. And so I'm losing weight. Like I can't figure out why I'm not hungry. I'm not feeling well. And so I just start shaking in the bed and not like shivering. Like I was cold, like legit shaking. So I called my wife and my mom's up because I'm sick. My mom's up there. And so I called my wife in the room and I was like, babe, is there a window open? Because it's Pittsburgh, bro. And you know, like by the time November rolls around, it's really cold. I was like, babe, is there a window open? And so she checks all the windows. She's like, no, like why would I have a window open? And I kept telling her, I was like, I can't stop shaking. And so they get blankets and they wrap like towels around my head. My mom is basically like laying on me at the time. My wife runs to the, the bathroom. She gets her blow dryer, her hair dryer, right? And she goes to like put it under the cover, but she had it on cold. You know what I mean? Like, you know, because I guess you could set the settings. And I was like, babe, that's not it. Like, that, that's even worse, you know? And so, man, I remember like shaking and I remember I started praying. Right. The first thing I prayed for was for my wife. I was like, you know, God, I was like, if, if this is it for me, I need for her to be taken care of. I need for her to find somebody that loves her and, and that, that would love my babies. And the only stipulation I put on God was that he couldn't be more handsome than me. Cause that was something I probably like wouldn't be okay with. I was like, God, you know, like I'm, I'm asking you to give her somebody, but like, he got to have like a big nose or something cock eye something you know and so man so then i started playing for my kids and i prayed for them individually you know i prayed for my son because you want different things from your boys and, and, and they need different things and they'll end up having to be fathers and take care of families and i prayed for my girls and so i prayed for all of these things and then i prayed for my salvation you know i i said the things that i've done in life god that are not of you or any place that I've let you down, I ask that you wash me clean. You know, I ask that you forgive me. And so at this time, I'm still shaking. My mom's like, my mom prays like eight days a week, man, like 25 hours. Like she's always in church. And so my mom is running, rubbing oil on my face and praying at the time. She takes the towels around my head. And so I ask God for to save my soul. I ask for salvation. And I say in the prayer, to myself, I said, okay, I'm ready. Because I thought I was dying. When the why gets out of my mouth saying I'm ready, I stopped shaking. It was over. I wasn't cold anymore. I wasn't shaking anymore. Whatever it was, was done. And what I realized in that moment, because, you know, at the time I've been in the league seven years, I was richer than I ever thought I'd be. I was richer than I'd ever been. I didn't pray about a car. I didn't pray about material. I didn't pray about any of those things. 
right? I prayed about my babies. I prayed about my wife. I prayed about my salvation. And in, in a time where you think that's going to be it, you're going to think about what's important to you. You know what I mean? And if you're living life, if you're living life a certain way and you feel like certain things are valuable, you know, like football was very valuable to me. And that experience didn't make it any less valuable, but it certainly didn't make it more important than the people I shared it with, right? With with the people I do it for. And so for me, that was definitely a moment that was was low. That was definitely a moment that was scary, but it was such an eye-opening experience. And so like two weeks later, I had seen a million doctors by this time, like so much so. One of the doctors comes in, the team doctor comes in and is like, uh, he read me my chart and he goes, okay, he hands me the chart and goes, okay, now I'll listen to you complain, right? And I was like, first off, bro, I don't never complain. I was like, I lost 30 freaking pounds. Y'all tell me nothing's wrong with me. I come to work every single day. Like, you understand what I'm saying, Darren? I would go to sleep, Donnie, I would go to sleep, bro, and be in like pajamas, right? go to sleep temperature is 99 whatever whatever at two o'clock every night 2 30 3 o'clock i would wake up in a full sweat my wife would strip my clothes off we stripped the bed right my temperature would be 102 103 and i'd go back to sleep wake up in the morning some kind of way my temperature was back down i'd go to work i'd stay for like three or four hours and they'd send me home right and this was every day and i'm trying to tell them like something's wrong with me so eventually I called the doctor who I'd seen like four or five times. Uh, he's a hematologist in, in Pittsburgh. And I was like, bro, something's wrong. With me. Like, I know something's wrong. You know, so I call him. He's like, just go take a test. He wasn't even there. I take the test. He calls like my wife like two hours later. He's like, no matter where you are, get right into the hospital. Don't pack a bag. And I go through five procedures from Friday to Tuesday. Tuesday was like the final splenectomy. And so, like, I just remember being there, man, and like being tired, but never being scared. Cause, cause of, of having that moment where you felt like it was going to happen. Like, I remember, like, the morning we went to get, I had to get surgery. Me and my wife, we were on the floor in the bathroom because I couldn't stop puking. And uh, I just told her, I was like, I'm tired, man. Like, I'm not scared. Like, I'm just tired. And like, if this is, if this is it, you know, this is it. But I had comfort in that. And I think, that's why we go through things and like people like use cliches all the time, right? Like a loss is not a loss. It's a lesson. Nah, dummy. Sometimes it's just a freaking loss. You know what I'm saying? Like, like if you lose and you don't take nothing from it, I'm talking about whether it's in life, whether it's in ball, nah, dog, you just lost, right? Like the cliche that you learned something from it only works if you actually freaking learn something from it. And I think, and, and that's what life is, but you also have to be open to receiving it. And I just think at that time I was open to receiving it. So what was the, the, the final diagnosis? I have sickle cell trait and less than 1% of the people in the world that have it, you can actually have a sickle cell crisis. High altitude can cause it and overexertion. So obviously playing in Denver, I had a sickle cell crisis and because they couldn't figure it out. I ended up getting what's called a splenetic infarction, which basically just means like part of your spleen dies. And so that part of my spleen that died got infected. 
And when it got infected, they said, when I finally got to the hospital, my spleen was four size the time size of a normal spleen, which was why I wasn't eating though. Because it, your organs, my organs grew to where it was squeezing my stomach. And I just remember, man, I'm talking way too much, by the way. I know this is supposed to be conversational. I apologize, boys. I just remember, bro, we're doing a procedure, right? So they wanted to be able to do it laparoscopically because they were like, we don't know if you'll be able to play after this. They was like, but if we cut your stomach open, it's really going to be hard. And so the doctor, my doctor looked just like Tom Brady, by the way. I just called him Dr. Brady. And so he's like, okay, what we're going to do is we're going to vacuum some of it out. So I wake up Saturday morning. They send me down. They put me to sleep. They vacuum some of my spleen out. So now they can remove it laparoscopically, right? Comes back the next day. He's like, RC, we didn't get enough to do it. So we got to send you one more time. So we're in the procedure. I wake up in the middle though, right? So I asked the guy, and so basically it's just like a long, it's like a longer tube. It's pretty thin, you know, and they just cut a little hole in you and just vacuum, like the regular vacuum works. So I wake up in the middle. I asked, and the doctor is like, are you okay? And I was like, should I be? Right? Because my question was, if you believe that humans are tough enough to do this, I'm a tough enough human to do it. You know what I mean? I was like, ain't no way that like some regular Joe Smo is supposed to be able to handle this. and I ain't going to be able to do it. F that. So that happens. So they wheeling me in the room. My wife looks at my face and goes, what happened? Right? Like no, like no other questions. She wasn't like, hey, babe. Like none of that. Looks at my face and goes, what happened? And I know my old lady. So I said nothing. Just while the people were in there, you know what I mean? So I then I, you know, I lay down and I kind of tell her what happened. So then when my doctor comes in, Dr. Tom Brady, you know, we're talking. And I was like, you know, we're kind of going through it. And I was like, hey, doc, like they said that, you know, I was supposed to be able to do that. And he was like, oh, hell no. Like no regular person could do that. You know what I mean? And like that was just that, you know, my thinking was that I was supposed to be able to do it. You know, and so that was like my whole stay in the hospital. Man. And then I remember when the boys came to see me the day after the Friday after surgery, because I was still in the hospital, they all left and they called me Saturday morning. They called me Saturday morning and there was this huge fight between them and the trainers because they kept telling everybody that I was OK. And that's why I was coming to work every day. And that's why I believe so like I believed I was supposed to be at work. And it was like, nah, y'all lied to us. Like he was dying. And uh, my wife always makes fun of me. Now nah, my kids make fun of me. They're like, dad don't care about nothing. Like dad ain't ever tripping. Nah, dad just been through other stuff. You know what I mean? Like I know like breaking the glass or spilling something or forgetting something. That's not the worst thing in life that could happen. Right. And because of that, I'm not going to make you feel less than or I'm not going to make you feel more defeated than you already are over a mistake when I know it could be worse. Now, are we going to talk about it? Are we going to fix it? If it's stupid, am I going to tell you it's stupid? Absolutely. But I know we got more life to live. So let's figure out the answer to that. And I think that's what we got to do with tough situations. And the other part that I've learned as I've gotten older, though, is that everybody's not built the same. Like I, I make the joke, I was the problem with like concussion protocol when I played. 
you know, like like my generation was the problem because, you know, when we grew up and they had us doing freaking Oklahoma drill, you didn't get to have a headache. You know what I'm saying? When when I was in high school, we had like a little skinny dude who was a kickoff monster, bro. Like there were times, though, like he'd go down, hit the wedge. He start walking to the sideline on like the 20 and he's trying to walk straight and finish on like the 40. And I remember he just shake the cobwebs out and go play because like that was what we learned. And so even on the field, like that was what we learned. And so when the whole concussion protocol came about, right, when it became a big deal, I'm, I'm on an NFL PA and I'm having to listen to other people who have more knowledge than me and basically lie to everybody for the greater good. You know, I'm sitting in front of people and I'm saying, yes, I believe that you should tell people every time you have a concussion. And if you're dinged up at all, you need to report it to the trainer and and, and you don't need to play. When in truth, I ain't believe that jump. I was like, say, bro, if you ain't sleep, we finna play. But it's like the same thing in life, right? What affects Darren one way, what affects Donnie one way may not affect me one way. And so now when I look at the Naomi Osaka's, the uh, Jokovic, the, the, the Simone Biles, you know, even Brandon Marshall a while back, now you start looking at all of these people and you start looking at these anxieties and the depression and the different things that they deal with and the stress. And you say, you know what? Different things affect different people. And what we have to be able to do is learn from those people take from those people because they actually feel it and then now progress that conversation. And so I had to learn that my way wasn't the only way. My way certainly ain't the smarter way, but it was my way. And so now I'm trying to continue to evolve to help other people, you know, deal with things that may be the same, but deal with them in a different way. I hear a ton of perspective. I think me and Darren always talk about it's not the event that happens, but the meaning we attach to it. And if you think about you know, the loss in, in high school of your boy, and then Sean's loss, and then the sickle cell diagnosis, almost dying in Denver in 2007, to me, that's shaped a lot of perspective for you. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you know, I've, I've been to a few funerals, and typically the, the first thing that comes up in any, any loss is regret. I should have done Mm -hmm. this. I should have done Mm -hmm. that, right? We're immediately going there. I could have done this for them. And so learning from that, where there actually is a lesson in the loss and we can attach meaning to it of something else you said is impermanence, where nothing is permanent. Life is definitely not permanent. I'm going to die. You're going to die. And all we really have is, is this moment. So it's actually where death actually teaches us to live and, and not only mm. to live for ourselves, but to show up for, to show up for our people and to be mm. present in those conversations. And something I've had to work on these last few years is to ask questions and stop thinking about myself so much, but actually ask questions and check in on people and see how they're mm. doing. So I, I hear a lot of that and I hear a lot of insane growth and perspective in, in your story. So I appreciate you sharing all that. And, and by the way, this is your comeback story, not ours. So you can take the, take no, the man, I just, <laughs> no, I just think, I think, you know, uh, obviously getting to know you and following Darren, you know, his, his story, uh, you know, which is the reason why I wanted to, to do it and, and be a part of it is I think you both have unique perspectives on comeback stories in general, and they just don't all match. You know, I, I've never been through, 
the things you've been through, Donnie, the conversations we had after I saw you in Arizona with Dante and with Justin. I've never been through what Darren has been through, you know, and and like those conversations, even though I can't necessarily put myself in those positions because I've never been, it's not the it's not the story as much as it is what we take from it, right? The, the, the pieces I can pull from what y'all do, from what y'all say, from just watching your life and say, you know what, that makes sense to me. And I think it's just great that you guys do this and you do it in such a way where you value the stories of people, right? The comeback stories of people. I think so many times what's happened to us in society is everything's a competition. Oh, Darren's been low. I've been lower than Darren. You know what I'm saying? Donnie's been low. I've been lower than Donnie. Like, look what I did. You know, look, look, look where I've come from. You know, so Darren, with, with you, man, when you get an opportunity to to do these different shows, do these different, uh, whether it's podcasts or you're doing stories or somebody's doing a story on you, what is the one message you try to relate most about the things you've overcome? I try to relay the message that, you know, you don't have to be perfect to be somebody that impacts the world around you or, or the people around you. Um, you know, I've been arrested three times, suspended at every level football. I've been, you know, unreliable in every, I mean, my list goes on and on and on, but at the same time, despite all those things, there's still a purpose for me being here. There's still an avenue for me to turn, you know, my pain into power and for me to go from a place of being the opposite of inspiration to people looking at me and wanting to change their life in a positive direction because of that. So I just want to let people know that failure is like the way, like that's where you really learn more about yourself. Like I learned through all my efforts of trying to impress people and, you know, be the fitness definition of a man that everybody else makes. Like I had to go through that and fail at that in order for me to realize that I have to create that definition for myself. My relationship with football changed for the better because I felt like that was my way of being accepted by people. And when nothing was ever enough and, you know, I hit that wall, I hit that bottom and, and football was out of the picture. I was able to recreate my own joy within football and have it mean something to me, not just the image that I put off into the world of me looking like I got it or me looking like I enjoy something because everybody enjoyed my life, what I had in it, except me. So I just right. present that picture <laughs> right. authenticity to people like, hey, man, like just it don't matter what's going on in your life. And even when you are successful, like there's still going to be battles that you fight and thoughts that you think, like when you sign that contract for some M's, like you've still got the same problems that you did before you put your name on that paper. So I just want to mm -hmm. let people know, you know, the realness of it. Yeah. And like that message, the, the last part of your message, I think is extremely important because the story doesn't stop when you're out of one trial. Right. Like like people think you, you, you come so far from where you were, you've made it and now you're done with it. Actually, you're not. You know, because they're still the same thing, because innately, like we're made a certain way. Right. Like the things we feel, the, the things we want to do, the things that bring us joy or the things that we battle with, they don't just they don't just go away. Like every morning you got to wake up and defeat those. But then it's the new trials that come right because people i'm gonna tell you what now i'd rather be figuring out my issues with millions of dollars over none let me say that first like that's it's the least i don't have a problem of how i'm going to eat 
or where I'm asleep. So I'm not, I'm not, I mean, cause you know how people always will, you're a millionaire. So, so I get that. We don't have those issues, but there are other issues. Right. And, and, uh, and another issue I think that comes that we don't talk about a lot is when you do get money, right. When you do have success, when there is a little bit of fame, there is also a greater ability to be yourself. And that means good and bad. Right. If, if, if you have bad habits, you know what? People accept your bad habits more when you have money. Bad habits are easier to afford when you have money. Right. When you have success, when you have fame. And so you're still battling those demons. But now it's the people grabbing at you and the people wanting certain things and the people expecting certain things. And those are still stressors. Those are those still bring anxiety on top of you have to be Darren or you have to be Ryan or you have to be Donnie. And then you got to go do your job. Right. Which then which at another point creates a level of expectation, a level of stress, a level of anxiety. And so I think it just brings me back to like the competition of it all that, you know, Darren Waller or Donnie or Ryan, who, who does all of these things, shouldn't have an issue. And people want to, we want to compare what we're going through to other people because we, we, we all want our story to be bigger. When in truth, our story should combine to make one book. I should be able to listen to Donnie and say, man, Donnie went through that. He just kind of gave me a template of it. I really don't want to go through that crap. I'm going to listen, right? Darren went through that. He just kind of gave me a template how he got out of it. I'm going to avoid that one. You know, we can't help what, what happens to us, but things that are in our control, we can learn to not allow those to affect us. And I think that's what I try to do, whether it's listening to your story or listening to Donnie and, and try to figure out, okay, how can I piece together my life from the lessons of others? There's a lot, there's a lot of wisdom in there. And just the fact you talk about the competition of, trying to get a trying to get a bag or trying to get you know all these things you know yeah we think that we want but now that we're in the position that we are now having this conversation the things that we value are a lot different so i want to ask you know what what are you most grateful for today (laughs) being alive sure um that's uh you know and i and i think i i know that's a, a very simple and and almost like obvious answer but I think when you didn't know if you were going to make it, right? Like when you thought you were going to die, when they told you you might die, and then after you didn't die, say, "Oh, we're surprised you didn't die." You know what I mean? Like it's a it's a different it's a different deal. Like I can be honest, bro. You know, I want to train a facility here. Like during COVID, I was like the worst girlfriend ever. Like guys would come into the building, bro, and I'd be like, "Hey, man, I saw your story. I saw you at that party. I'm gonna catch you in ten days." You know what I mean? Like test or not. Like I see you out in these streets. Guess what? I ain't fooling with you because I don't have a spleen, right? Which is the most important organ in your immune system. And uh, I'm grateful for that. I'm also grateful for God keeping my people. Uh, My mom has a really bad autoimmune deficiency. And kind of before it even got kicked off, she gets COVID. And you know how it works, guys. When you attain a certain level of success and a certain level of wealth, you start to take care of other people. You know, my mom's retired. My dad's retired. They don't necessarily need me. They're the dead. They're, you know, because I've taken care of them as I've played. The house paid off. But I'm like, no, nah, I'm going to take care of you. And so, or at least I don't need them to take care of me. So I feel like super grown. Like I'm very adult, you know. 
bro, I was a baby when my mom was sick. She didn't test negative for 47 days. And I'm calling her and she's coughing and she has what's called aspergillus, which is basically like because you she gets pneumonia often, her lungs have a uh, callus. And I remember somebody asking me about it and it was like, who, if anybody in your family, do you think wouldn't survive COVID? I was like, oh, my mom. I'm like, my mom gets it. She's dead. And this is before she even got it. And I just remember, man, talking to her probably, you know, I told you about how my mom goes to church. Probably, bro, two weeks into it, we would drive down like every three days and I, I go grocery shopping for and I leave it on her porch. She's sitting in the doorway, open the door with her mask on. Me, my kids, and my wife would sit on the, the, the sidewalk and we talked to her and I asked her, you know, I had tears in my eyes and I asked her and I was like, mom, are you scared? And she's like coughing and she goes, no, I'm not like Scott's plan. And it was like, even though I had gone through, this is how human we are. Like, even though I had gone through what I had gone through, Right. And, and the humans eventually got to a point where they didn't un, they didn't know if I'd come through it. But I did. Right. Because it's because I believed and I, and I prayed. When it was happening to my mom, though, I didn't have that same type of faith. You know what I mean? I didn't have that that same type of belief. You know, I was I was I was humanly scared, you know, because no matter how much we believe, it's a ton of people that spend their lives in church who aren't here anymore. Because that's what happened. People died. But it was my mom. You know what I mean? And I just remember, man, just praying and praying and praying. And so, you know, now when we, because she's retired, when my wife and I travel, we're not home. And we got old kids, right? Our kids are 22, 20, and 16. And so my mom comes and spends time with my 16-year-old when we're away. And they basically just hang out like homegirls. And I'm so grateful to have her and to still have my people. You know, and you talked about getting M's and a bag and things like that. I don't like to vacation, right? Like, I'm just a worker. Like, I just like to work. And I also bought this big freaking house in Louisiana. And I'm like, well, why would I buy this big house to leave? That don't make no sense. To rent a hotel, that's a small room, you know? And so people are very important to me, man. So I'm extremely grateful for the, the people God has given me, the people that he's kept around me, and for... Um, continuing to take care of them and i would think the other thing i'm extremely grateful for man is trials i'm extremely grateful that even though i was all sec as a junior that i wasn't drafted that i, I left the sec it's like it's all time leader in tackles from the db position and only one team thought i was good enough to get a trial i'm grateful for being cut and working at lsu before being picked up by washington i'm grateful that tom coughlin told me after year two, he didn't think I was good enough to to play in this league. I'm grateful for winning a position battle in Pittsburgh two times and them still not believing in me until I get sick. And the dude that takes my place, who they always thought was better, who I kept beating out, shows that he's not better than me. I'm grateful for the trials of having to learn to grow up once the game was over. You know, I was 35. I had played football for 31 years. I started playing football when I was four. And it was gone. And I didn't miss it. Like, I can be honest with y'all. I didn't miss it. But yet still, I didn't have things to do that I enjoyed as much as that, which finally led me to understand that, you know what? 
There are other people in the world who actually don't get to live their passions, right? And so now that my first passion was gone, I had to learn a new one. I had to find a new one. Because if you don't have that, then you're you're in a place of continual searching. So now I, I give back to the boys, you know, like I train people and I'm, I'm big into, you know, activism, whether it's African-American, women, LGBTQ. And I can be honest, bro, like some of these things at first, I don't really understand them. I remember like the, the way I got involved with helping the LGBTQ community was that I was at a town hall. I was one of the guest speakers and one of the leading activists for their community got mad at me because I kept asking questions and I wasn't asking questions because I thought she was wrong. I was asking questions because I was like, if I can help them, I want to help them. But she wasn't used to that. And so like she fusses at me and it was fine. You know what I mean? And I was like, you got to get aggressive. And you know how it goes there. And she was like, why every time a black woman get loud, she got to be aggressive. I was like, no, I wasn't really saying it like that. So I shut my mouth, but I was old enough and concerned enough to realize Walk up to her and ask her, can you take her to lunch? Tell her you're ignorant. Tell her you don't know, but tell her you'd like to learn. And what I'm grateful for is that now, obviously, the same things that were your, were your passion before, you know, your family's always going to be there. Now learning has become a passion. And that's been dope. It's amazing, man. What would you say? So maybe someone that's listening or somebody who knows the biggest thing holding them back somebody that's stuck, stuck in their own stuff or having a tough time, but doesn't know what to do about it. What would you, what would you say to them? The first thing is don't be embarrassed. If we had three hours and like, we could really like get into my life and, you know, other things that I think are, are failures that I, I have endured because of me, which I'm not embarrassed about. First off, it's just some things we don't talk about like you start to realize that a lot of the reasons people don't don't want to confront what they're dealing with is they're embarrassed by it. Like we all got stuff, bro. Like all of us are dealing. And the other thing I would say is it's never too late to start, but don't start too late. If you're 40, if you're 50, if you're 60, it doesn't mean that tomorrow you can't start being better. It also doesn't mean wait till tomorrow. You know, we, we, we can't put off, put it off until tomorrow, what we can do today. And so I know so many times, man, like with simple things, people are like, oh, I'll just start on Monday. Nah, you can start on Wednesday. You know, you can start on Thursday if it's Thursday. You can start whenever you need to start to feel better. And notice I said feel better because a lot of times it's not necessarily that you have to be better. It's about what we feel, though. I used to get into disagreements with people. Right. Who who would like be like, well, I feel this. Well, I'd be like, the facts say that it's not that my intention wasn't that. What are you talking about? What you feel like that makes no sense to me. And then I had to realize that, you know what, when people when people feel stuff, that perception is their reality. And so I think it's I just would tell them, man, I just don't wait to feel better, because I think once you start an action to help yourself feel better you actually will. People are always waiting on like some external or extrinsic motivation. Sometimes it has to be intrinsic motivation, right? Like it can't be something that we got to get from the outside. Like if I do this, then this happens and I know it's working, right? Like, like sometimes it has to be your purpose or it has to be, you know, your passion or you have to master 
like we all need to master ourselves right like, like i think that, that that's the greatest mastery we can ever have because if i master myself if i know myself if i can control myself if i can help myself then i now don't have to depend on all of these outside things for happiness because i can't control donnie right i can't control darren i can't control how y'all see me i can't control how you value me i can't control how i see and value myself and so i would just tell people man just start you're not the only one your life is not over it's time to start i wish we did have three hours to to keep talking to you <laughs> Your perspective really is amazing, but I'm just I'm just real messed up, bro. That's all it is. <laughs> hey, I'm just I'm just you know, and uh, I know you about to well, we about to be done. You know what's crazy, Darren and, and Donnie, and I want to first say this is amazing that you guys do this. How many times have you answered a question and you've actually answered it for yourself? When I'm speaking. I'm listening to myself and saying, RC, you should take that advice. RC, you should, you should remember that. You know, yesterday when you were sitting alone because you were stranded in Houston and you dropped your sun chips on the escalator, <laughs> you know what I mean? You should remember when, when you're frustrated and, and you answered the phone and people were asking you questions, you don't answer that question. You should remember all those things you just said. And keep that perspective. And that's mostly, man, I've been talking to me. It's as powerful as it is, man. But uh, before we wrap up, uh, you've been giving love to your family and to your people this whole time. But we love to end it off with a shout out to the people that mean the most to us, a comeback story shout out. So if you want to give yeah. people one last shout out, take it away. Yeah, you know, obviously I talked about you know, my parents and my kids and, and my wife all the time. Because, you know, when you're older and married, bro, that's like, that's who you have, right? Like, that's that's what you have. I'd like to give a shout out just in general, right? Not to people who have overcome their adversity, not to people who have faced their obstacles and feel like they're on the other side. Like my shout out is actually to the people that are like still in the storm. The people who are actively working to be better, the people who are actively working to feel better, the people who feel like they're alone, but they're still waking up every single morning and doing for others. That's what I watched my mom do. Even when I'm talking to her and she's telling me the things she's going through and the things she's dealing with. That's what I watch my wife do every single day. And I know so many other people do it. And we've gotten to a point to where especially public figures are now at least admitting publicly that they're dealing with things. And with that admittance comes critique, right? Comes criticism. And those people actively going through things, they aren't on the other side, but they still have to do what they're supposed to do, right? Whether it's the balance beam or a floor routine or it's Wimbledon, Wimbledon or if it's the Olympics, if it's whatever, right? If it's play tight end, if it's, retire from basketball like LaMarcus or still play basketball. Like everybody that's still fighting, man, that's still going through something. I give them a shout out for their comeback story. That's going to be written. And that the fact that their testimony is one day going to help people like Donnie, who's might be going through something like Darren, who's going through something like Ryan, who is going through something. And just because, and I actually tweeted this today, I was being a weirdo on the plane. When you're in the storm, 
like it's hard to you don't see the sun you know what i'm saying like you just don't but just because it's raining doesn't mean the sun didn't come up we just can't see it because it's cloudy and there's lightning and there's rain but eventually that storm clears so what i say to all the people that are still in the storm is stay dry until the sun comes out. I love that, man. Well, I, I want to acknowledge you for just how you show up. I've had the blessing of uh, working with Jordan, who is like... Yeah, thank I, you so much. Yeah, thank I've you said, so much for that, man. Thank you. I mean, I've said to him multiple times, I look at his character and his poise and um, his value system, and I can't help but compare him to where I was at his age. Mm-hmm. And it's like he is like light years ahead of uh, ahead of where I was. <laughs> hey, his daddy too. <laughs> <laughs> but it's he's just such a quality kid, and it's a direct reflection of of how he re- was raised and how you showed up. And I've been able to witness not just not on like the TV stuff, but really just how you show up for your children, for your DBs and your DB pre- precision group. I mean, it's Thank it's really you, been an honor to have you in my life, man. And we're we're grateful to uh, have had you on Comeback Stories today. Man, I appreciate it. Darren, man, thanks for having me on your show. By the way, always say very good things about you on TV so you never have to be mad at me. I am very well aware that we would have had Troy cover you, not me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I I know, man. And so the best of luck to you this season, bro. Yeah, appreciate you, man. Appreciate your vulnerability. I really appreciate it. Thank you, guys, man. Y'all have a good one, man. All right, we're out, everybody. What I represent Staying true till I'm six down It might take a little bit But every king's gonna get crowned